Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Breachside Broadcast, home of the finest foxcasting either side of the breach. Today's story concerns Von Schell and his highly trained band of mercenaries, the Fry Corps. As hired guns go, they have no equal in Malifaux, and I can personally recommend their services for anyone engaged in risky activities. As long as you've got the script, they won't let you down. I hope you enjoy a day in the core. This episode of the Breach Star Broadcast is brought to you by the Fry Corps. You've tried the rest, now come to the best. The Fry Corps is the only mercenary outfit in Malifaux that gets the job done every time, no questions asked. Whether you want protection on a journey out into the Badlands, or a quick assassination with no mess or paper trail, they've got you covered. Remember, when no other will do, the Fry Corps comes through. Contact them at their secret base to discuss your next project. Don't know where the secret base is? That just proves that they're the best at what they do. A Day in the Corps Katja Vanderhel eased the hammer back on her clockwork pistol as she inched towards the doorway. Under the tight leather and metal of her Freikorps armor, sweat was pooling in the small of her back and making her flesh prickle with its heat. It had already been a long morning, and she could feel fatigue setting into her tired muscles after hours of climbing through the ruins of the quarantine zone, over broken masonry and uneven ground. Glancing over her shoulder, she could see the other members of her squad crouched against the building's crumbling stone wall. The hazy light of the morning sun and the green-tinged lenses of her mask making them look like faded images on an old photograph. Like her, each and every one of them was here to prove themselves worthy of the Freikorps, von Schill's cadre of elite mercenaries, and about the best-funded private army this side of the Great Breach. Katja had first heard about von Schill when she was still Earthside, fighting for the kingdom in the Caucasus, and risking her life for a handful of gold and the promise of the king's goodwill. Rumor had it that von Schill had come to Malifaux to aid the guild in their ongoing war for control of the city, but that for some reason he had fallen out with the governor. Quickly adapting to the unique environment and business opportunities that Malifaux presented, von Schill and his Freikorps had become a force for hire, accepting almost any contract provided the pay was right. In no time at all, it seemed the old soldier had made a name for himself, and the ranks of the Freikorps swelled, drawing able fighters and specialists from across the city and beyond. Soldiers like Katja Vanderhel, the third daughter of a Baltic duke, and eager to prove herself. She had already been considering crossing the breach and seeking her fortune before she learned of the Freikorps. But the stories of von Schill, as well as her father's refusal to grant her a post in his army, because of her gender rather than anything to do with her skill, was all the extra motivation she needed. 
Of course, getting together the coin for a trip to Malifaux and then tracking down Von Schill had been the easy part. Now here she was, given a day to prove her skill to the Corps and earn a place in their ranks. At least her previous training and natural ability to command had made her the logical choice to lead the squad, the other members more suited to their specialist tasks rather than overly using their brains. Unfortunately, it also meant that Katya felt doubly responsible for the recruit's success today, and that they got it right. Focusing once again on her surroundings, Katya considered the door and what lay beyond. They had been tracking the Resurrectionists for several hours, following them back to their lair from what must have been some nefarious nighttime activities. The leader in the top hat with the wild hair had been having a long-winded and one-sided conversation with his undead charges, most of which looked to have once been working girls of one kind or another. Von Schill had made it clear in their briefing that the Resurrectionists poised the most serious threat to the Freikorps base, hidden as it was deep within the quarantine zone, both sides locked in back-and-forth struggle to control the ruins. Katya could already sense that familiar feeling of stubbornness setting in as she prepared her squad to move into the lair, the same one which had estranged her from her father and ensured her only brief relationships with the opposite sex. She was the equal of any man on the battlefield, and she would prove it, or die trying. Clayton Burns looked up from where he was crouched at the squad leader, and decided that he didn't mind one bit how that Freikorps uniform clung to her body. He didn't have a problem following a woman, even one that looked like Vanderhell, but he knew plenty of men that did. Of course, Clayton had been washed out of the Free Republic Army and sent out west precisely because he couldn't follow orders, from a woman or a man, so gender didn't really factor too much into his thinking. In a lot of ways, Malifaux reminded him of the Far West, not so much this ruined ancient city, but certainly the bits outside it. He liked the sense that it was far from anywhere, and that much of the time the law came down to the pistol you carried on your hip. He had not set out for Malifaux to join the Freikorps. Rather, he had come here like most folks, to escape their past, or people from their past which were trying to find them. It was only when he stepped off the train and heard the tales of the Freikorps that he decided to join, reckoning he would rather sell his soldiering skills to a decent mercenary outfit rather than haul them out to the guild for a pittance. He was also a surprisingly good shot with a long arm, just like his pa used to say, everyone gets one gift, and it seemed being able to shoot was his. He had also spent a good amount of time living with the far west tribes, living off the land and hunting, skills which Von Schill and his crew seemed happy to put to the test. However, it did mean at this particular time that Catcher's gestures to move up and take a look were largely directed at him, the designated trapper of their group. He spared a quick look behind him at the other two members of their squad, the rotund Joshua Day, his bulk straining against the seams of his armor, and the sly J.N. Day, mostly obscured by Joshua, brother and sister if his brief conversation with them was to be believed. He made a face as if to show his reluctance to be the first into the ruin, but hidden under his mask its effect was lost on them, as was any response they might have to it on him. Carefully picking up his hunting rifle, Clayton edged past Katya, giving her a nod, and eased himself through the doorway and deeper into the ruin, wondering just why he was making such an effort to join the Freikorps. 
Was it for the money, or was it for the prestige? Perhaps it was simpler than both those, and he was doing it for an attractive young woman in a tight-fitting suit of armor. Joshua Day rose to his feet with a creak of armor, as his sister did the same behind him, closing the gap between their position and Katya, now that Clayton had left to scout ahead. He carried the standard Freikor clockwork pistol and hunting knife, given to him to complete his training, the same as his sister, though she aspired to more than just being another grunt in Von Schill's army. In fact, it was because of his sister and her special gifts that he was here. Coming through the Great Breach touched everyone in different ways, some small, some large, and often it changed them from the people they were Earthside. For Joshua, the breach was merely an uncomfortable crawling sensation and a moment of prickling pain, all gone before he'd really started to register it. For his sister, it had been something else entirely, something which had awoken a gift in her for looking into the future. Always possessed of an uncanny intuition, J.N. could now genuinely pull facts and secrets out of the air she had no earthly business knowing. It meant she would be a threat to the guild unless she bowed down to their authority, something neither of them wanted to do, and even then people with such gifts often disappeared. The other option was to join someone with the clout to keep them safe from the guild, and Joshua had settled on the Fry Corps and the relative safety of the quarantine zone to keep them hidden from the gaze of the guild. The only catch was that first they had to pass Von Schill's test and earn their place, proving that they could uphold the good name of the Corps and earn coin for their new boss. Joshua moved close enough to catch her so his whisper might not be overheard by any nearby. What's the play here, boss? She regarded him for a second with a pair of green lenses, her face unreadable under her mask. Clayton is going to see where the hatter and the girls are, and you and I will go in and take him out, while Clayton and J.N. cover our flanks and get any stragglers. Joshua gave a quick nod and moved back into position, preparing himself for the fight to come. Katya eased up to the door and peered around the corner. It took a moment for her to see him, but after a moment she spied Clayton sheltering in the shadows nearby. He held up three fingers and then pointed toward the room just beyond where they were hiding, finishing the gesture with what she assumed was his best attempt at miming wearing a top hat. She waved Joshua forward and then motioned for J.N. to find a good spot to cover them before creeping toward the entrance to the room Clayton had identified. With Joshua at her side, they flanked the doorway, readying their pistols before ducking in guns raised high. In the gloom ahead, she could make out the shape of the hatter and several of his undead minions, the stench of death heavy in the air. Even as she leveled her gun at the shape of the man in the top hat, she realized that something was wrong. That briefest of moments when reality comes crashing down and everything suddenly jumps into focus. The hatter was a dummy. So were the undead girls positioned near him, about the same size and shape as the figure she'd seen walk in and wearing their clothes, but lifeless and inert. She opened her mouth to scream a warning to Joshua and the rest of the squad, but it was brought up short by the cold presence of a gun barrel pressed into the back of her head. Bang. You're dead, 
whispered a voice from behind her. Bright lights suddenly filled the room, and she could see other Freikorps standing around, with their guns trained on her and her squad, among them the familiar wiry form of von Schill himself. With a deep sigh, Katja pulled off her mask and let her hair spill out down her back in a tangled blonde mess. Looking around, she could see that in addition to the Freikorpsman that had pointed his gun at the back of her head, another had Joshua covered, and doubtless there were others covering the rest of her squad. Finally, she looked at von Schill, the deep lines on his face made deeper by the stern expression he wore. You've walked right into a trap, Miss van der Hill, expecting one foe and finding another. As part of the Freikorps, you need to be prepared for anything. These are not the ancient battlefields of Europe upon which you tread, but new, far more treacherous ground. I understand, was all Katja could manage to reply, already feeling like she'd failed, but not entirely sure why. This whole thing must have been a setup from the start, but it seemed deeply unfair if this was what was required to join von Schill's crew. Take heart. This is not the last test, merely an indication of things to come. Nodding to the gathered Freikorps, von Schill walked out the ruin, leading the way back to their nearby camp. How could you not have seen them, Clayton? I thought you were some kind of tracker. Katja was berating her squad as they sat around the campfire enjoying a pitiful lunch of dried jerky and watered-down beer. It was a setup, Cat. They'd been there for a while, waiting, and that place was lousy with the smell of death which masked their scent. It's not my fault. Don't call me that. And anyway, you should have known. Now we're going to have to do something else to prove our worth. And I, for one, have no intention of crawling to the guild looking for work, Katya retorted. However, the truth of the matter was that she only blamed herself for what had happened. If she had not been so eager to go in and get the hatter, she might have had a better look around, or given Clayton more time to do his job. Either way, it was a moot point now. Another test she'd tried and come up short in. Don't worry, Katya, Joshua said. If you really didn't want us, he would have told us to get out right there and then. And also don't think they give you the armor and the guns unless they really have hope for you. I just wish there was some definitive way we could prove ourselves, show von Schill we can get the job done, and we're not just more mindless soldiers here to follow his orders. Speak for yourself, Cat, Clayton smiled. I'm here for the pay in the company. I go where I'm told and don't ask any questions. Questions I have discovered in my experience will get you into no end of trouble. Katya hated to admit it to herself, but she liked Clayton. The easy smile and those rugged open plains looks, and under different circumstances she might even have gotten to know him better. Right now, though, he was just annoying and a distraction she could do without. Fate is calling, brother, whispered Jayanne suddenly, looking up from the bit of jerky she'd been holding uneaten since they sat down. Katya and the others looked over at Joshua's sister, waiting to see what she had to say. She didn't speak often, and in many ways what she had to say creeped Catcher out. But she could not deny in the few short weeks they'd known each other that Jayanne had a gift. She could see things the others could not, and call upon something which lived in this cursed place, or at very least talk to it. Katya had never really had much dealings with magic, 
even after she came to Malifaux, preferring to rely on her wits and cold hard lead and steel, but she had seen it in action more than once, and knew the power it possessed. What is it, Jay? Joshua gently asked his sister, not wishing to break the silent calm that had fallen over their gathering. The rabbit and the snake walk into the room, but only the rabbit leaves. The snake has business here, and time is not its friend. Jayanne didn't even seem to be aware she was talking, her eyes going once again to look at the jerky in her hand as she talked seemingly to herself. All of a sudden, the girl looked up, her eyes coming back into focus, a look of confusion playing on her youthful face before she realized what must have happened. Sorry, I didn't, she muttered. It's all right, Jayanne. I think I'm almost getting used to these little episodes of... Katya trailed off as she saw a man wandering up to their camp, a courier satchel held close to his side, looking about as if trying to find someone. What gave her pause, though, was not the presence of the courier, but rather the intricate design of the rabbit on the satchel and the cold shiver that ran down her spine as she spied it. I'm looking for Von Schill, the man began as he walked over, invited by Katya's stare. You're members of the Freikorps, right? Katya nodded. Von Schill has gone back to the main camp. Perhaps we can help you. The man seemed about to make his apologies and leave, but then a look of recognition came into his eyes. Yes, perhaps you can. Could you deliver this to him? The courier handed her a letter from his satchel, a letter emblazoned with a twisting serpentine design. With that and a curt nod, the man left, wandering off back into the ruined streets. Katya looked down at the letter, noticing it lacked a seal, but finding herself transfixed by the coiled snakes on the envelope. Teasing the folded paper open, she read the first line of the missive. Contract for Crown Street Armory Raid. Most urgent. This is it. This is our chance to prove what we can do. Forget these training exercises. If we can make some real coin for Von Schill and show him we can complete a contract, then how can he deny we are ready to be Freikorps? Katja looked into the eyes of each of her companions, almost daring them to disagree with her. All she saw, though, was the acceptance and trust they'd placed in her, and a willingness to follow where she would lead. She just hoped their faith in her was not misplaced, and that this was, in fact, the great idea she thought it was. Katya and her three squadmates hunched over a table in the three-legged horse, poring over the plans and notes that had come with the letter. Hidden from the view of most of the saloon's other patrons in a dusty corner, they periodically glanced about to see if they were being observed. Even their Freikorps armor and weapons were stowed in bags under the table, each of them dressed in more civilian attire to blend in with the other patrons. So far, Katya was having second thoughts about her bravado back at the campsite, when she'd been so eager to prove herself. Now that the reality of the task was sinking in, she was wondering if she and her crew would be up for it, if they could really pull off the raid. Are you sure this is a good idea? Joshua whispered across the table for about the hundredth time since she'd brought them there. What if Von Schill has a special interest in this? Or what if we botch it and bring down shame on the core? He won't just want to kick us out then. He'll want to line us against the wall and shoot us. Or worse, feed us to those things that live in the sewers beneath the zone. Clayton, it seemed, also had his doubts. As much as I trust you, Cat, 
even after our brief time together, I have to agree with Joshua. This does seem, well, a bit bold. Katya sighed and planted her face in her palm for a moment, before taking a deep breath and reassuring them again. Listen, this is a straight-up job. We go in, we get out, and we make some coin for Von Schill, and show him we are worthy of his damn Freikorps. I've known lots of men like Von Schill. Clayton's sudden grin made her pause for a second before she pressed on with a hard look. On the battlefield and in the briefing room, and they respect strength and action from their subordinates. Von Schill is also a mercenary at heart, and he hates the guild. Show me a better way to impress him that makes him script, while at the same time giving the guild a bloody nose. Now quit your whining, and let's go over the plan once more. Everyone, tell me what your parts in the plan are. Taking his cue from her look, Clayton went through his role. I'm to climb up onto the roof of the grain warehouse at the far end of Crown Street across from the armory. From my vantage point, I will be able to see over the walls and into the windows on the west side of the building. There I wait until you, Joshua, and Jay sneak inside and open the iron doors to the inner armory and get the guns. Then I give you cover through the windows and out through the courtyard as you make your escape. What else? If I see any runners on the street or patrols after you get the guns, I will take them out. And if they discover your position, I fall back into the grain warehouse and then rendezvous with you at the sewer entrance at the end of Dogleg Lane. Or if that has been watched too closely, the one near the wall on Dust Street. Good, Clayton. Joshua, what is your role? Katja shifted her attention to the big man. Um, I'm to go with you and scale the west wall. You'll go over first and throw over the rope. Then I help J.N. up and then go up third. Once inside, I take out the patrol. Quietly. Yeah, quietly. I take out the patrol near the west entrance and help you pry open the window to the ground floor galleries. Then we go in, quiet-like again, and get to the inner armory where the letter says the guns are. Then I take out the sentry on duty and keep watch while you and J.N. open the door. When you call... I help get the crates, and we head back out the way we came. And what are we doing on the way back? Shooting anyone that gets in our way until we get to the sewer and we are back in the zone. J.N., you'll be with me and Joshua. Katja spoke more carefully to J.N. than she had with the other two. Even though secretly she thought the slight girl was made of sterner stuff than all of them put together. Your job is to give us support when we go in. But most importantly to crack the magical lock on the door, then verify we get the right crates. I don't want to haul them all the way to the sewer to discover they are full of fire irons or guild uniforms. Katya looked around the table and met the gaze of each of them in turn. She had led men and women in battle before, and she knew only too well the importance of them having faith in their leader. We are not a group of prospect-hired guns or farm boys with dreams of glory. Each and every one of us has seen some of the worst that this world has to offer and come back fighting. We are soldiers through and through, well-trained and capable of besting a few fat and lazy guild men who don't even know what it is they're guarding. We'll be in and out of that place in less than ten minutes, and by the time they even know something is wrong, we will be long gone. Even if you are not sure of yourself yet, be sure of me. I know precisely what I am doing. Katya smiled in the way she remembered her father smiling when he had led men to war and wondered for an instant if he had felt as nervous as she felt now.
A hazy twilight had become a gloomy dusk, and Katya decided it was now dark enough to go. With a few quick motions, she led Joshua and Jayanne out of the shadows and across Crown Street, toward the western wall of the armory. As the hour was not late, there were still more than a few people on the street, but not so many here as there would be deeper downtown, and she made sure no one saw them. The armory wall was only about ten feet high, intended to keep out civilian trespassers rather than be truly defensible. In fact, if she hadn't seen the letter, she wouldn't have known this place was more than another guild warehouse, and certainly not the location of some secret armory. With rope and grapple, the three of them scrambled over the wall and into the courtyard beyond. Katja suddenly felt quite exposed, and could only hope that hidden on the roof across the road, Clayton was following their movements in the shadows with his scope. According to the plans, there should be a patrol station nearby, which they would need to neutralize to ensure they could reach the gun store without detection. Crouched in the darkness, Katya scanned the courtyard, picking out shapes and several low structures. She made out the station, a barred shack not half a dozen yards from where they were, and ominously dark. Silently, she gestured Joshua to go up and check it out. The fly does not know what the web is. Even when he struggles in its bonds, it remains a mystery. Jeanne was mumbling under her breath. Quiet, Katya hissed through the gloom at the girl, grabbing her arm and shaking her back to reality. A few tense moments passed, and Katya began to worry that something had happened to Joshua, though there was no wail of alarm or flood of light. Then the large man appeared again from the darkness and crept back to their position. It's deserted. Nothing there and looks like it's been empty for some time, he whispered close to her mask. Could be the information in the letter was not complete, Katya thought. Though if one thing was wrong, it didn't bode well for the rest. Even so, she was no fool, and they'd spent the day staking out the place, and she'd seen guardsmen patrolling the grounds, suspiciously covered wagons coming and going, and everything else the letter promised seemed to be true. Certainly the floor plan so far seemed accurate. Come on, we need to get inside. She prodded the others into action. After sneaking across the empty courtyard, they came to the west entrance, though that too was devoid of any kind of sentry or obvious guard. The window was there, though, and with Joshua's help, they pried it open and slipped inside. We saw people here today. Where did they all go? Joshua pondered, as they eased the window closed behind them. Limbs of steel and hearts of steam, black blood of earth and eyes of glass. J.N. was whispering to herself as they worked. We are pressing on. Until I find that those gun crates are not there, we stick to the plan. Katya drew her pistol and led the way deeper into the armory. From his vantage point across the street, Clayton was resting against the edge of the warehouse roof, his long rifle propped up beside him. With a detached crystal scope, he was scanning the armory, looking for movement or signs of alarm. So far, he'd seen nothing, apart from the vague shadows of Katya and the others crossing the wall and entering the building. So far, he could see no lights through the west windows, and none on the ground. Even odder was the fact that as the sun began to set, all the guardsmen he had seen had disappeared, either trooping out the main gates or inside and out of sight. There were none of the patrols he had expected, 
No posted sentries or watchful guards standing at entrances. Even so, Clayton continued to watch, determined for some reason not to let Katya down. A glint of light off metal drew his attention to the west entrance, and once more he put the scope up to his eye for a better look. In among the shadows there was not much to see, even with the amplification lens of the scope, but he was sure something was moving down there, like a large man in heavy armor, or some kind of small steam engine. The thing abruptly crossed the threshold of the entrance and vanished inside, but not before it crossed a stray beam of light from the street, revealing its hard brass body and long, spidery limbs. Ah, hell, Clayton cursed, snatching up his rifle and snapping the scope into place. Get a move on, cat. The magical tumblers glowed an eerie blue in the darkened corridor as Jayan meticulously moved them up and down, finding the combination more by feel than sight. Beside her, Joshua and Katya covered the corridor, waiting for the gifted girl to do her work. Katya shifted uncomfortably in her armor, bringing back unpleasant memories of that morning in the ruins. Just as in the courtyard, there had been no guard on the gate to the armory, even though the letter and plans had indicated that the building was patrolled and guarded after dark. Either behind the door they would find nothing but empty crates and boxes, or this had all been some elaborate hoax, or worse, some kind of trap. She had to trust, though, in her skills, and that if this was indeed some kind of trap, perhaps intended for Von Schill, that she and her crew could fight their way out of it. In any case, the goal was to get the guns. Everything else was secondary, and as long as they completed their objective, she didn't mind what else had changed. That's it breathed Jayanne as the door creaked open, the last of the tumblers clicking into place. Beyond was a large stone room, its walls reinforced with iron and lined with racks of guns, swords, and other weapons. At least this part seems right, Katya thought, as she made for the pile of pine crates in the center of the chamber, ignoring the rest of the ordinance. Check the numbers, Jayanne. Joshua, keep watch. A few moments later, Jayanne nodded to her, indicating two crates near the top of the pile, each large enough to hold half a dozen rifles. In quick order, she and Joshua heaved them up and made for the exit, Jayanne taking out her pistol to cover them as they moved. They had gone only a few steps down the corridor when a harsh, metallic voice screeched in their ears. Halt! You are in violation of guild law. Surrender or die. A light in the corridor flared to life, and blocking their exit... A towering construct of brass and steel barred their way, all claws and limbs. Katya didn't even pause, knowing full well what kind of fate awaited her in a guild jail, and dropped the crate and grabbed her pistol. The others followed suit, fanning out to try and find a way past the beast. The Peacekeeper, as the terrible mechanical and magical device was known, leapt forward and attacked, a powerful claw smashing into the ground next to Joshua, and another barely turned aside by the big man's knife. Over here! screamed Katya as she fired off a volley of shots, which mostly pinned and whined off its thick shell. The thing swiveled around its little head and moved in her direction alarmingly fast. Darting back, Katya continued to fire until she was back in the armory, the thing filling the doorway. Outside, Jayanne was softly incanting, and Joshua prying open one of the crates they'd been carrying. Clever man, thought Katya, seeing what Joshua was doing. Now, just to keep it distracted. 
Reaching for the first thing that came to hand, she pulled a saber from a rack and tried to fend off its claws. Unimpressed, it pushed her back and clanked into the room and took aim at her with its harpoon gun, which seemed to have appeared out of its tangle of limbs. A dull thunk and a rush of wind marked its passage, and Katya was flung away from the splintered crate she'd been standing beside, but was otherwise unharmed. A rhythmic clanging then sounded as the construct reeled in the harpoon for another shot. Katya propped herself against the wall and started to reload her pistol, the shadow of the beast falling upon her. Just then she heard Joshua whistle out, Here you ugly beat up son of a cook pot, this way! The beast turned and paused long enough for Katya to see Joshua braced with the elephant gun, its overlong barrel glowing faintly from Jian's incantation. Boom. Katya was deafened by the gunshot and instinctively flinched away as it blew a massive hole in the peacekeeper not three yards from where she was, sending shards of metal and crystal in all directions. Headless and leaking oil and steam, the creature took a shaking step toward its killer, before its spidery legs collapsed under it. Staggering out into the corridor, Katya saw Jayan helping Joshua up from where the recoil had knocked him down. Put that thing away and let's get the hell out of here, she yelled, though her voice sounded weak and far away in her ears. Jayan said something back to her, but she could not hear the words. Then the girl pointed at the guardsmen pouring into the corridor and running in their direction. Heaving the crates up once again, the three Frycors set about making their escape. Clayton fired again through the windows and was rewarded with seeing another guild guardsman fall to the floor, or perhaps just die for cover. From this distance it was hard to tell. He could see Katya and the others again, hauling the crates while one of them, Jayan he assumed, fired to cover their retreat. They were making for the wall, but they had really stirred up a hornet's nest, and it looked like every single guardsman he'd seen on patrol during the day was up and looking for them. His covering fire at least was giving the guild pause, and seemed to have them unsure as to where the attack was coming from. So far a few had fired off in his general direction, but none had come close. Even so, the sooner they were over the wall, the better he would feel. With his attention fixed on the building, he didn't notice the commotion in the street until the gates to the armory were being opened. From what he could see, a full patrol of some dozen guardsmen had arrived, riding in with weapons drawn. Swinging around his aim, he was about to take one down when he heard a creak on the roof behind him. Without thinking, Clayton rolled around and fired point-blank from the hip. The muzzle flash of the long rifle illuminated the surprised face of the guardsman before he was thrown back. Even so, the next one was on him in a flash, Saber thrusting down to spit him before he could draw his pistol. Clayton, using the rifle as a club, parried away the saber, enclosed, grabbing the man by the coat, trying to bear him to the ground. Off balance, they both fell back, and through the open trapdoor the guardsman had emerged from. Clayton braced himself for the impact as the two men wrestled, tumbling down through the dark and into the warehouse. Rather than hitting the hard-packed earth floor, to Clayton's relief, they landed among the grain sacks, throwing up a cloud of dust. In the fall, Clayton had lost his rifle, while the guardsman had lost his saber, though the guardsman was now struggling to his feet and trying to free his pistol from his belt. Not wasting any time trying to find his own pistol, Clayton grabbed a sack of grain and clouted the guardsman about the head, pushing him down into the grain, and using all his weight to hold him there. For a few frantic minutes, the guardsman tried to get free until he stopped struggling, drowned in the fine golden grain. Dusting himself off, Clayton ran out onto the street, 
intending to get to the sewer. He emerged in time to see Katya, Joshua, and J.N. dropping down from the wall, but also in time to see the newly arrived patrol bearing down on them, ready to strike. Katya had the crate and had cleared the wall, but now she faced more guardsmen, this time on horses. Outnumbered and outgunned, she resolved to at least try and afford her companions time to make it to the sewers. Leveling her gun at the lead rider, she was about to fire when she noticed that under the faded blue duster was a familiar pattern of armor, and under the broad brim of the hat two lenses looked out, a mask just like her own. Stand down, Freikor. A familiar voice spoke up from the patrol. Give them some help with the crates and cover our retreat. Von sir, that is to say... Katya began, unsure of what was transpiring, the adrenaline of the escape clouding her mind for a moment. "'At ease, Miss Vanderheld. You have done well, and we're here just to make sure you get those guns back to camp, though it looks like everything is in hand.' "'Thank you, sir,' Katya nodded as they moved off the street, the sound of errant gunfire and confused shouts still coming from the armory. "'Sir, was this a test? Was this part of—' Bonchil gave her a tight smile and placed a hand on her shoulder. You completed the contract you were given. That is the only thing I will ever ask you to do. Welcome to the Fry Corps. That brings us to the end of another episode of the Breachside Broadcast and to the conclusion of another chapter of this great saga. But fear not, there are many more tales of Malifaux to come. Join us next time as we approach the crossroads.